This is the Arm Subject Matter Expert Podcast, hosted by Justin Poulin. Tune in every month as we speak with industry experts to highlight success stories and solutions from the field that advance the healthcare supply chain. And now, Justin Poulin with this month's expert. This is Justin Poulin from Power Supply live at Arm 23 in Orlando. We are talking with Lee Ayers, Senior Director, Supply Chain Operations at Sutter Health. And we're going to be talking about managing replenishment specifically in a non-acute setting. And so, Lee, you're going to talk about maybe why the non-acute setting doesn't get as much attention or focus as the acute setting and the opportunity here, which was highlighted in a learning lab here at ARM this year in Orlando. So welcome to the ARM SME podcast. Thanks for having me on, Justin. I really appreciate it. So tell us about this foundation replication. This was the title of the learning lab that happened, I believe, yesterday. We're on day two here at ARM. Tell me a little bit about that and the project, and and maybe we can dive into the conversation around non-acute settings as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I got to go back pre-pandemic, right before this really started. When I arrived Sutter, one thing that we noticed is we had a lot of pockets, non-acutes, you know, primarily, where we noticed a lot of the replenishment, a lot of what I would consider traditional supply chain work was being accomplished by our clinical staff. So both in non-acute and acute, we looked across our entire system and really launched a project to see how, how could we benchmark something different, right? Move some of those roles from the clinical staff who we'd like to see concentrate more on clinical duties and move that over to supply chain. So we kind of dubbed this as, and we, we throw it around at Sutter Health as you know, supply chain doing supply chain work. So that's kind of where the, the thought process launched from. And then, you know, fast forward to today, we're, you know, midway through a project to do exactly that, bring all those duties over to our supply chain chain team, you know, where it makes sense, right? Obviously, with 400 plus different sites and locations out there across our network, we can't expect to send a, a Partech team or our supply chain team out to uh, do all the replenishment, but we want to maximize that as much as possible. So I can only imagine that this is a huge exercise in trust and establishing trust. And I think it makes sense, supply chain doing supply chain work, and especially when you look at you know, nursing retirements, clinical labor, we really do need to specialize like this. Absolutely. I think one of our biggest goals there is, you know, when you look at clinical staff and, you know, in Northern California, probably making, you know, 50 to $60 an hour versus supply chain techs, maybe, you know, in the 20s or $30 an hour, it's a huge disparity. So when you look at those type of numbers, we really want to push the clinical staff to concentrating on some of those higher skilled jobs in the clinical arena and earn some of those hours in terms of productivity really on the supply chain side. So it's allowing that value to, I think, return to the clinical staff and really save some of those dollars in terms of FTEs uh, and return some of those duties back to the supply chain. So with the strain on clinicians, especially related to staffing, did you find it was a little bit easier to get buy-in in recent years to you know, establish that trust and, and kind of assume the work of the supply chain around replenishment? Absolutely. And I think lucky for us, we did have one region that had already adopted the model. So I think that word spreads really quickly with the just really the 
the service increase that we were able to to adopt and to to provide the clinical staff and to release them to go back to some of the other the duties that they had been trained to do that word spread quickly throughout our system so people were lining up from across our other regions and raising their hand to say hey can we go next right so word gets out and then we just start spreading that model as we move forward <laughs> too bad everything doesn't work that way that that's fortuitous it's the beauty of you know having pilot operations and it just sells itself really yeah so let's talk about non-acute because right before we got started, you and I were just riffing a little bit on the topic and we were talking about why doesn't non-acute get more attention, right? Why does, why does the acute setting wind up being where most of you know, our time and energy and initiatives end up going? Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you look at this through a lens of either senior leadership of a healthcare system or especially your CFOs, a lot of our leaders will follow the dollars and rightfully so. You know, we all have budgets and targets that we need to meet year in and year out. And especially coming through COVID when we have to you know, sustain the financial viability of our companies, that's where the acutes come into play. You know, all our surgeries, all our medical supplies that are flowing into those type of you know, procedure areas are really expensive, right? And those could make or break an organization. You saw a lot of sites throughout or a lot of health systems throughout COVID pause elective surgeries. And that was really impactful to the bottom line of the organizations, which is kind of converse when you think about non-acutes that may not be so expensive. But I I like to focus on both because when you think about the non-acute side, that's going to create, I think, most of the time, that's going to have the majority of your patient experience, right? I mean, most of the time we're not going in for an elective surgery or even a critical surgery. Most of the time we're going to our urgent cares, our doctor's offices, our clinics, and that's what's going to sum up our overall patient experience. So I think with that in mind, it, it deserves equal attention in our non-acutes in, in terms of value and performance back to the patient. I also think a lot of it has to do with how healthcare has transformed over the last decade plus. I don't think that the people that are necessarily now supporting non-acute had non-acute experience before we began to really reach out into the community this way. Would you say that's also a factor? 100% true. Yeah, we're seeing a huge transition from inpatient surgeries over to now outpatient surgeries and the utilization of our surgery centers. And surgeries in general and procedures are getting easier and they're getting faster. Recovery times are faster. COVID pushed telehealth, right? There's, so there's all sorts of things that are pushing all, all of this over into the non-acute setting. So we're going to see more dollars flow in that way. We're already seeing more patients flowing that way. And I think you're also going to see a lot of technology in terms of AI and distribution networks start to push more over into the non-acute side. I think that's definitely going to be the case. It almost has to be working with some really large data sets. And the other thing that you don't have is proximity. And I would also say when I look at, you know, just those non-acute settings, do you think that the fact that supply chain front lines and, you know, leadership and middle management, because we've gotten used to working remotely, all of a sudden that lack of proximity to our workplace has been diminished and almost enhanced our ability to support, you know, all these various non-acute settings that are spread out? I think it's definitely made us more efficient. And I think, you know, of course, throughout COVID, it was very much needed just to stop the spread of the virus as much as possible and kind of ensure that herd immunity across the board. And now I think we're seeing that pendulum swing back a little bit 
where we're starting to come back into the office, maybe not every day, but we're starting to see some of those those gaps that we created with a virtual environment, team meetings, right? Just getting that, you know, that kind of those impersonals, right? I think Zoom and other other platforms have been absolutely fantastic throughout COVID to facilitate a lot of those engagements, right? Especially with with video and those type of things. It really got us through. But now again, you'll, you'll start to see there is a little bit of gap there in team building. And there's just, you know, I think virtual only takes you so far. And then now we're, we're again, swinging back to starting to have some of those team meetings and get back together a little bit more. So with this foundation replication, this presentation, what are some areas of benefit that you saw, you know, in your work on supply chain staff actually managing the replenishment process? Where, where, what maybe some categories or some examples of where it was a really a, a big win and you were able to measure that success? Yeah, I think the first we, we spoke about a little bit would be in your labor costs, right? As we see that labor shift a little bit more over to supply chain, I, I think you'll see a reduction in some of your labor costs um, to pay the FDEs to do that supply chain work. The, the second piece is in really the value add that you're giving back to that department or that organization. You know, when you start to leverage periodic automated replenishment, you start to, you know, put in technology, start to use uh, handhelds, you start to do all these streamlined processes and start to have less excess, right, that you would have from, you know, when a clinical staff member goes to order something, oh, I got a guess here, this needs to get me through the weekend, and maybe I'll just order 20 just in case. So this, you know, with, with PARS, right, this really takes all that guesswork out of it and standardize that at operation so you don't have excess, and heaven forbid the converse to that, where if you don't order enough, right, you got a stock out on your hands. So really, it, it eradicates most of that, unless you're looking at a manufacturer back order. And then the, just the technology on top of that just amplifies what we're able to do because we're running way more efficient operations than, than I think than what it, whenever was possible before. You mentioned handhelds and you know gathering that inventory data and information, I'm sure, through that technology. Was that something that you had to purchase, install, set up at these clinics, or was it just something you had to take over in terms of management? There was definitely some capital expenditures. We did have the technology available, again, mostly in the acutes in our storerooms. So the technology was there. We just needed to go out and make some small investments in some new handhelds and then utilize some some of our supply chain staff at the corporate level to go in, do the training, set up the, the PARs. And so from that technology standpoint, there was some of that and then buying the handhelds. But beyond that, you know, we had really had the corporate knowledge to do this already and, and were able to make use of all that continuity that we had in place. So you took best practices in the acute setting, brought them to the non-acute. I think the other thing is, you know, obviously you had that one success story that just launched it and got everybody on board. So they were coming to you instead of you having to reach out and get them on board. I'm, I, I can see where that just helped you maintain the pace of the project, but I can also see where just bringing your experience and expertise without really changing a lot about the process, right? You changed who did it, but you didn't really change a lot about how the clinicians in these non-acute settings were operating on a day-to-day basis. So it wasn't really disruptive to their pattern of work on a day-to-day basis as much, was it? Absolutely not. And you can imagine being a leader in any organization when you come to them and you say, okay, I need you to spend $5,000 on some new handhelds. I'm going to save you $50,000 in labor cost. 
I'm going to return your clinical staff over so they can concentrate on clinical duties and give value add where they should be focused on the patient. It's, it's really hard for those leaders to say no and to tell them, and I'm just going to take care of everything for you, right? And you won't have to worry about it. And you'll have less stockouts. You'll have less excess. You'll get real estate back. I mean, there's so many benefits. So it's really hard for any leader to sit there and go, hmm, I don't really want that, right? So it, it, it becomes an easy sell. And then obviously, as I said, talking with their peers who are already doing it, it just it became a slam dunk. Lee, this is a great success story. I'm glad that you had a chance to highlight it here at Arm 23. Let me know if we're really missing anything in this conversation, anything you'd like to add, but even tease maybe a little bit more about how you've advanced replenishment strategies in the acute setting as well. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely want to call out, you know, our our non-acute team for the amazing work they've done. And, you know, it really culminated in their, their presentation this year at ARM yesterday. So foundation replication was just, you know, kind of the icing on the cake for all the hard work that they've done. But yeah, in the acute setting, one thing, one project we're pushing this year is in our our lab departments. So I I partnered with our VP of lab services in the acute setting to take on, which is going to be a lot more difficult, I would say, for our teams to take on all the replenishment in, in our laboratories. And this is all of your, of course, your normal tourniquets and just stocked items, but then also your pre analyticals all the way through your analyticals, including blood bank. So behind the scenes, there's going to be a lot of training and education for the supply chain staff to understand those products, the ordering patterns, the trends, refrigeration, expirations. There's just a lot to delve into there. We've been lucky that we've had some trained phlebotomist transfer over to supply chain to help kick this off a little bit. I don't think we'll need that type of training for every single department out there, but it certainly did help pilot this. And we got some best practices, and now we're starting to grow that across all of our acutes in our system. Yeah, I really love that. You know, we talk a lot about clinically integrated supply chains, and a lot of times when you hear that, it's usually a nurse or a pharmacist, right? And there are obviously other areas, especially as you're tackling certain departments in the hospital where it makes sense to bring in somebody who's done that job to advise throughout any kind of a project or implementation process like that. So, Lee, this has been a great conversation, but I can definitely see how that lab project could be a little bit more challenging as well. But I think you're going to have great success with it. And I want to thank you for coming on and and sharing your insights with us today. Yeah, my pleasure, Justin. And, you know, I I have such a wonderful team that I think is definitely going to carry the load. A group of fantastic leaders that will help push the project through no matter how difficult. I think they everyone sees the value in it. So it's just been great partnering with the the clinical staff to to move some of these projects forward. So thanks again for having me. Our pleasure. Lee Ayers, everybody, Senior Director of Supply Chain Operations at Sutter Health here at Arm 23 in Orlando, highlighting success from his team. Also presented here in a learning lab entitled Foundation Replication. There's more coming. This has been a great conference. Stay with us for other interviews coming up from Arm 23. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Arm Subject Matter Expert Podcast. For additional resources, visit our website at arm.org. That's A-H-R-M-M dot org. Tune in next month for another edition of the Arm Subject Matter Expert Podcast. Podcast.